Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us about the life of a leper and how our lives in sin need to be cleansed by the Lord Jesus Christ. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Hi, I'd like to welcome you again as we continue in our study of this book of Exodus. And and, uh, let's pray now and ask God, Lord, bless us today. Bless us with understanding. Bless us with the opening of the eyes of our understanding that we might see the Lord Jesus Christ in the scriptures, that we might hear the Lord Jesus Christ in these scriptures, and we might appreciate the Lord Jesus Christ in us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, now, if you'd uh, turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 3, and we'll continue, and I'll start here in uh, these verses here as we go in verse 8. And I am come down to deliver them out of the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land unto a good land and a large unto a land flowing with milk and honey unto the place of the Canaanites and the Hittites and the Amorites and the Perizzites and the Hivites and the Jebusites. Now, therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel has come unto me. I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppressed them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go unto Pharaoh, and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee that I have sent thee when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt. You shall serve God upon this mountain. Now, very, very important part here, where God said that he wanted for there to be a token or a sign. In essence, he was saying to Moses, Moses, you are really going to need to have what I'm going to give you now, which is going to be a token or a sign. And when you look at the sign or the token, you are to understand that, as it says here, that I have sent you. He says, he says, a token unto thee that I have sent thee. So in other words, You must, 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 must always know in your life, Moses, that I have sent you. You're going to go down life, and it's going to be hard for you, and people are going to doubt that I've sent you, and you may doubt yourself if you've really been sent by me. So Moses, I'm giving you a sign, a sign that you, when you look at, that you'll know and you'll understand that I have sent you, just like the same God who created the signs, as he called them, and the stars and in the sky, that by looking at those stars, they would say, okay, I see now. When I look at that, I understand that uh, now it's uh, springtime and I should plant and now it's fall and I should harvest and over there is north and that's south and so forth. And uh, it, those are signs. That's what we call them, signs. So the exact same word that he used in Genesis and the creation of the stars, when he called them the sign, it's the exact same word that he uses here in Genesis chapter 3, verse 13, when he says... And this shall be a sign, a token unto thee, that I have sent thee. And the sign was, when thou hast brought forth the people out of Egypt, you shall serve God upon this mountain. So it was the place. It was the place. It was very important. And we said that he could have stuck a pole there, could have stuck a stake there, could have stuck a signpost there, and just remembered that when he's standing there and there's millions of Jewish people that he's brought out of Egypt, that when he looks at that and he looks at that signpost, he says, oh, I see, I see the sign. 
and I understand that God has sent me. Because if God sent Moses, and if Moses really knew that God sent him, everything's fine. Everything will be worked out because this really is a partnership between God and Moses. Now, if anybody, if Moses would have been presumptuous to say, you know what, I'm going to do what I want to do, and I'm going to presume that God is with me also, that God is sending me, that's presumption, that's disaster. That's exactly what happened to the, the children of Israel when they came out to Kadesh Barnea, and Moses sent 12 spies, two of whom were Joshua and Caleb, into the land of Canaan to spy it out, because they were preparing to go in it right away. And then they came back, and Joshua and Caleb said, uh, yes, there were giants in the land, but God is with us, and so we'll overcome them. But the other 10 spies brought what was called in the Bible the evil report. And because of the evil report, they said, oh, we are like grasshoppers in their sight. They're going to totally slaughter us. We can't do it. In other words, God can't do it. That's what they were saying. That's what it's called the evil report. And they persuaded the people not to go in. They dissuaded them from going into the land. Even though Moses and Joshua and Caleb were saying, no, let's go. And God made a decision at that point. He said, all right, because what they said was particularly offensive to God, was that they said, look, our children here that are in our arms, you want to kill those poor children. And God said, I heard that. So God said, I'll tell you what we're going to do. You're going to wander around this desert, this wilderness for 40 years. You will die. Your bones will bleach in the desert. But those little babies that you were holding there said, oh, those poor little babies are going to die. They're going to go in instead of you. So that was a judgment. Well, after that, that they heard that, then they said, well, um, turn the clock back. Okay, we'll go in. Let's go in now. Let's go in. Let's just uh, forget about what we said and we'll go in now. And Moses said, don't go in. And they said, no, we'll go in. If God was then with us, then he'll be with us, and we'll go in. And that was presumption. Why? Because God told them, don't go in. They had to live out the judgment of the 40 years of wandering around in the wilderness. But they presumed that God was with them, that God was sending them. When he, In the fact, he, he did the first time, but now he was saying, don't. And they went in, and they were slaughtered. And that's what happens when there's a presumption that God has sent and that God is with in, 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 uh, in doing something. So it's not man who decides that God's going to send. It's God who decides. But it's very important, and it would be very important for Moses to fall back on the fact that he really is sent by God. And so that's the reason why God sent to him, I know you're going to have these problems, Moses, So I've given you a token here, I've given you a sign, because you're going to end up in the same place, right here in this mountain. There's going to be millions of Jewish people that have been brought out of Egypt. The hand of the Egyptians is going to be broken. They're going to release them. And when you come and this happens and you're standing here, then you'll understand that this wasn't Moses' idea to deliver the children of Israel out of Egypt. This is God's idea. I am sent by God. So he gives them a token. And in the token there, when this actually happened, God intended for Moses to... Look back and remember the time when the God and him, God and Moses had that conversation there as we're having here, as we're studying in Exodus 3. He says he wants to look back and remember this conversation. Remember the words that I spoke unto you. Remember the words that you have said to me and our conversation. Remember them. 
because you're going to need them. It's going to greatly encourage you to know that you were sent by God. And so in the same way, God wants us to, when we have our times, real special times with God, have a book, have or write in the margin of the Bible, whatever, put something down so that you'll have something to turn back to and remember, because that will be greatly encouraging. It will stabilize you. And we see this illustrated in the 10 lepers. And if you'd like to turn to that in Luke chapter 17, where it starts in verse 12 through 19, where it says, and as he entered into a certain village, that's the Lord Jesus Christ, he's coming into a certain village. There met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, Go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. And Jesus answering said, Were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger? And he said unto him, Arise, go thy way, thy faith hath made thee whole. What's so interesting about this account is that there were ten men who were lepers, and they were all in the same desperate state. It says that they stood afar off. Why were they standing afar off? Because they were lepers. They could not be a part of society. They could not be a part of normal society. Leprosy is, was, is contagious. And because it was contagious, it made the life of the leper absolutely miserable. The leper had a miserable life. And just how miserable the life of the leper was is described for us in Leviticus chapter 13, verses 45 through 46. I mean, listen to how miserable a life was for a leper. It says, And the leper in whom the plague is, his clothes shall be rent, his head bare, and he shall put a covering upon his upper lip and shall cry, unclean, unclean. All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled, he is unclean, he shall dwell alone, without the camp shall his habitation be. He had to wear clothes that were torn. He had to wear clothes that were torn, that identified him as someone unusual. He had to wear torn clothes. He had to have his head uncovered and shaved. That was a shame for Israelites to to have their hair uh, uh, shaved on their head. But he said he had to do that, to identify himself as someone unusual and to stay away from. He had to have a covering over his upper lip. And he, in other words, he had the beard part or his mustache part shaved off, which is also a shame. He had to have that. He had to have a covering on his upper lip. And, and why do you have to have a covering of his upper lip? Probably so that when he spoke or cried out, spray or saliva didn't go out, could be contagious. So he has the covering. And he has to cry out for all of his life. He has to identify himself, announce himself, crying out, unclean, unclean. Can you imagine such a life? He's wearing torn clothes, tattered clothes, uh, a head that's uncovered and shaved, is a covering like a guard, over his upper lip, and he walks around, unclean, unclean. And he had to live alone, and he had to live outside the camp. 
That's a miserable life, a miserable life for the leper. And here were 10 of them living in this miserable condition. They could not be married. They were constantly reminding others. They were constantly reminding themselves that they were separated from society. They were isolated. They were in an unclean condition. And there was a time when each one of those men, they got the leprosy. There was a time before that time they didn't have the leprosy. And then from that point on, they had the leprosy. And before the time when they didn't have the leprosy, they were living their lives. They were walking down the road of their lives. They were busy walking down the road of their lives. They were busy in their lives. They had family lives. They had work lives. They had society lives. And all these lives, they were moving ahead until it all came to a stop. It all came to a stop when they were diagnosed with leprosy. And it stopped their family lives. And it stopped their business work lives. And it stopped their society lives. And all of a sudden, everything was changed now. And that happened to us also. That happened to us, not in leprosy, but in the spiritual sense, when we realized we were sinners and we were impressed and we felt sinners, we were separated from God. There's a description of the awful condition. We've just seen the description of the miserable condition of the leper. There's a description of the miserable condition that we had and were in before we came to the Lord Jesus Christ. May we never forget it. And to help us to never forget it, God has given us a verse, Ephesians 2.12. Turn with that. Turn to that, please. Ephesians 2.12, where God says, I don't want you to ever forget this. So I'm recording this here for you. And it's a good thing for us to look at because it says in Ephesians 2.12, at that time, ye were without Christ being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Oh, that's a miserable condition. Just like the Lebris life, we're miserable. This is a miserable condition. Our situation was like being a spiritual leper. We might have been in the prime of health, but miserable We might have had all the money in the world, but miserable. And the description was we were without Christ. We were aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. We were without the Messiah, without Christ, without God's sent one, without God's help, without God's ambulance to come to our rescue. The Lord Jesus Christ was like God's ambulance. We were without Christ. We were without the one who is called Emmanuel, God with us, our togetherness with God. No, we were without Christ. And we were aliens, absolute aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. What's the commonwealth of Israel? The commonwealth with Israel is the oracles of God. What advantage then hath the Jew? Chief in every way. What advantage then hath the Jew? Much in every way chiefly because that unto them were committed the oracles of God. The Bible, that's a commonwealth of Israel. The Bible, the oracles of God. To be able to open the book and to read the words that proceeded from the mouth of God, that's the oracles of God. To be able to hold in our hands and to appreciate and to understand. We live by this. Man doth not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceedeth out of the mouth of God. God doth man live. The oracles of God. 
Second, the commonwealth of Israel, another part of the commonwealth of Israel, the ability to pray under the umbrella of the blood. You know, when you look at the, the Passover in the, um, in the blood, and the angel of death is coming, great fear, great disaster, terrible. And so God says, you take a lamb, a lamb, every family a lamb, kill the lamb, and collect the blood in a bowl with some hyssop, like weeds, uh, like re- reeds, and you take a, and you go to your doorpost and, and you strike over the top of the door and you strike on the side and you strike on the other side and you got the top and the two sides. It's like a cross, tribe and the two sides, but it's also like an umbrella. It's like a covering. And so it's a symbolic. It's a covering of blood for the house. And God says, when I see the blood, I'll pass over you. Well, when's he going to see the blood? He's looking down, the angel of death. Looking down, he sees the blood. He says, I'll pass over because it's above. So he sees an umbrella. So it's a symbolic of the umbrella, the protection of blood. Like the umbrella protects us from rain. This is the umbrella of blood that protected them from the death of the angel. So that was the ability to pray to God under the umbrella of blood. That's part of the commonwealth of Israel. The adoption to be a child of God. To have his love set upon you, as Moses said to them. The Lord did not set his love upon you because you were more in number, but because it's the adoption. And all of this is what it meant to be aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. Then it says that we were strangers from the covenants of promise. What's the covenant of promise? The covenant of promise is, a, is God's promise. The covenants are promises. And we were strangers. We didn't know about them. We didn't care. But there were great promises and great covenants that we didn't know anything about because we were strangers to them. They were strange to us. We were strange to them. Strangers from each other. But it says, one of those great promises, Second Chronicles 7, 14, If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then, here's the promise, I will hear from heaven. I'll forgive their sin and I'll heal their land. That's a covenant of promise. It's a wonderful covenant of promise. A promise to be heard by God, to be forgiven of our sins, to have healing. That's wonderful. He says in uh, Hosea 14.4, this is a covenant, this is a promise. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely without hesitation, in other words, for mine anger is turned away from him. In other words, the promise there to be healed when we turn away from God is a promise to be healed, the backsliding, and to be loved by God freely. That was a covenant of promise. We were aliens. And then the great one, the new covenant in Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34. Behold, God says, the days come, saith the Lord, that I will make a new covenant, a new one, with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. Not according to that old covenant, but he's going to make a new covenant. Not according to the old promise, but according to the new promise. Because he says, now I'll continue, which my covenant they break, although I was a husband unto them, saith the Lord. But this shall be the covenant. This is the new covenant. This shall be the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my law in their inward parts, and write them and write it in their hearts, and I and will be their God, and they shall be my people. That's the adoption, 
And they shall teach no more everyone his neighbor and everyone his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord, for I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. Great promises, great covenants. We were strangers. We didn't know. We didn't care. They were strange to us. But those were the covenants of God. Then it goes on to say that we having no hope, we had no hope. That is a, can you think of a more sad description for a person as having no hope? That's terrible to be in a state of having no hope. Why did they have no hope? Uh, Why did we have no hope? Because we didn't have the Lord Jesus Christ. It says in 1 Peter 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again unto a lively hope or a living hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our Lord Jesus Christ rose from the dead and when he did, what was created in us? A living hope, a hope that's alive that we will leave this death, the body of this death, and be resurrected from the dead as he was to live with him forever. That's hope. That's why it's called a living hope. It's a hope which is lively hope. In Hebrews 6.19, where it says, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. In other words, when we go through the turmoils of life, the problems of life, and they dislodge us, and we feel like we're just with no stability, then God says the hope is an anchor to the soul. When the soul has no stability in itself, the hope will be an anchor of the soul. It's sure, it's steadfast. And then he says it's because... The anchor is set, as he says, within the veil. In other words, in the Holy of Holies, in the tabernacle, at the place of the lid for the ark, the mercy seat, the lid there, where God met with man, where there was the blood on the four corners, the cherubims protecting it, all speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's where our anchor is. It's an anchor that's steadfast and it's grounded there, sure. And the other end of that anchor is on our soul. So it's called the anchor of the soul. That's the hope. That's the hope. And then it goes on to describe us and it says, we were without God in the world. Without God in the world. That's another terrible description. That's like without God in the world. In the world. It's like without God in the world in the world is like without an air hose under the water or without God in the world is like without a parachute on a plane that's going down. Without God in the world. We need God in this world and we love God in this world. God is so helpful to us in this world. Moses said that in Deuteronomy 33, 27. He said, the eternal God is thy refuge. And underneath are the everlasting arms. And he'll thrust out the enemy from before thee. He'll say, destroy them. The eternal God is thy refuge. God in the world. We need God to run to. And we appreciate God when we run to him. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous runneth into it 
and are safe. In 2 Samuel 22.3, it says, The God of my rock, in him will I trust. He's my shield, the horn of my salvation, my high tower, my refuge, my savior. Thou savest me from violence. So, the day came for these lepers, and they were diagnosed with leprosy. And all of a sudden, as we said, their lives come to a screeching halt. Everything stops. Why? Because leprosy was an incurable and terminal disease. And it had a prognosis to it. It had a morbidity prognosis, and it had a mortality prognosis, as all diseases, incurable terminal diseases do. And they knew for their disease of leprosy what their morbidity prognosis was, and they knew what their mortality prognosis was. They knew how much time they had on average before the disease of leprosy would eat up their fingers and their toes. And I've been to a leprosy hospital in in, uh, the Philippines and seen fingers and toes eaten up with leprosy. And so for each one of them, their whole life came to a screeching halt on the day that the priest told them that they had the incurable disease of leprosy. And though they had people who loved them, and they did, there was nothing that those people could do for them except to separate from them. Thank you for joining us today. Now, if you'd like more information about the Friendship with God radio program or free Tom Cantor resources, go to friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org. Or call us at 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening and join us tomorrow.